Hey everyone. Welcome to Redefining ABCD. Today's episode will be another Brown Art Network episode where we'll highlight specific South Asian voices in a variety of professions within the creative community. We'll hear about their creative work, how they navigated themselves through their chosen industry, and any tips they might have for other individuals in the South Asian community looking to pursue a similar career in the arts. So today we'll be talking to Dergy Spade, who is a magician and wedding and wedding MC based in Toronto. Um, we, me and Dergy had a really great time at um, his recent show um, that's fully virtual, and we had a great time hearing about um, watching his magic show. And today we're going to talk a little bit about his career and how he got into performing as well as MCing. So hi, Dergy. Hi. Hi, Sneha. Hi, Kirti. Thank you. Um, so just to start out, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into performing magic? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I'm Dergi. I'm a magician, uh, as you said, based out of Toronto. And as a kid, I loved magic, like I loved it. And, you know, the truth is, um, I think every little kid at some point goes through their life. Maybe it's a phase, maybe it's a one day or a three day or a three week phase where they're like, oh, cool, magic, what is this? And, and you know, maybe they see it on TV or on YouTube or whatever, and they just like it for a while. Well, I never grew out of that phase. So, I you know, I did it and then, I you know, I kept doing it and I kept doing it. And, kept, and so um, I never grew out of it. I always loved it um, since I was a kid. And now here I am actually doing uh, live magic shows, which literally we just did one for those listening. Uh, we just ended one two hours ago. And so that's how I got started. Uh, started in a in you know in in so many words um i guess i've just always done it uh and i've always loved it and um so i'm gonna keep on doing it that's awesome um we saw on your website that one of your inspirations was uh david blaine who is a world-renowned magician endurance artist what parts of his career or like journey that really motivated you to pursue magic in the way or like develop your style in performing yeah so in the late 90s um you, you you know, David Blaine, who, like you said, you know, kind of inspired me, but also inspired millions of people around the world to get in magic. In the late 90s, he came out with his first television special. Um, and, you know, that's over 20 years ago now. But w when he came out with it, it was so different at the time than anything that had been done before. Because up till then, like the 70s, 80s, and most of the 90s, like magic was focused on the magician, and then there'd be an audience in the crowd. But what David Blaine did was he kind of turned the camera around. The magic wasn't as important anymore. Uh, in a sense, you know, the camera got turned to, I don't know if you've seen like his specials, but the camera got turned on to the audience and the reactions and the people's emotion and the story that was told became more important than the magic. And that was the first time um, in, in history, magic was told in this way. It was, it was just a different way of looking at it. Um, and I think it just kind of hit people over the head real hard. Um, because it was so different. And I remember seeing it and just thinking like, this guy's just a normal dude with a t-shirt. You know, he doesn't got anything fancy. He's just on the street doing these random little things. But the emotion that people feel from it is so powerful. And I think I think that just kind of hooked me in. No, that's awesome. I was going to say like, you know, me and Kirti just got, just came back from your show or your virtual show. And I feel like that part of that interactive part is really comes through in your shows. And that's really great to kind of experience. And, you know, speaking of your shows, like you do a variety of different types of shows. You do like street, street kind of magic, and you also do um, more performance style and now virtual. Um, when you, 
when you're do, when you're putting together these shows, um, you know, how do you pick and choose what kind of tricks and performances you want to share with your audience? Does it kind of change depending on the night, or is it more kind of a set in stone sort of? Most of it is, uh, you know, it doesn't, it, okay, so for the virtual show, it's pretty much the sh same show, but it does evolve over time, right? So, like, you know, after we do the same show so many times, we think, okay, I, you know, maybe we can tweak something. Like, it, there's always, there's this art of, like, trying to perfect it, but it's like a painting, right? You never know, like, when is a painting done? I don't know, right? Like, you can keep adding stuff to it. Right. Is it done now? I don't know. We could still add more detail to it. Is it done now? I, you know, so a, a performance like magic is is same in the sense that like you got this, you know, you create this thing, but then the more you do it, you might always, you know, change something. You might take something out, put something in. And so if you watch this, if you watch my show tomorrow, it'll be the same show as tonight. But if you watch the same show six months from now, you might be like, oh, this is new or I don't remember that. And so it, it evolves. Um, to answer your question, like I, I appreciate like that improv kind of aspect, especially with your street performance as well. Like, how much of that? Like, is that like you just kind of pick and choose what tricks you want to do on the spot, or is that like sort of something that you think about beforehand? Yeah, yeah good question. So the tricks are again um, all predetermined, like what I'm gonna do. Like I know tonight's show, this is what I want to do. It's like a set right. list, right? Like when a singer goes out to play a concert, right? They don't just uh, most of the time they have like a set list right tonight here's a set list these are the songs we're gonna play the band members know right the drummer knows we, i gotta play this songs the you know guitarist knows like i gotta play this songs in this order right and it's the same thing with magic like we know we're gonna do these seven things today and we're gonna do them in this order and this is how it's so so yeah so there's um you know as far as like a set show goes it's it's, you know, we know in advance what we're going to do, but you said an important word in there, which is the improv aspect of it, right? Because you just saw the show and you saw there is a lot of improvisation that occurs throughout it. And when you have your show down pretty cold, um, you know, you know it pretty well, um, you know, you have the freedom to improv where appropriate, right? And we had a few moments tonight where we were able to kind of freestyle a little bit, right? Right, right. No, that's awesome. I, I can see how that's like such, that's again, going back to the whole David Blaine sort of like, you know, uh, engaging the audience and, and the interactive aspect, which I really appreciate. It's, it's, it's really coming through in your show. So that's really cool. Um, kind of switching gears a little bit. Um, since our podcast focuses really heavily on like discussing the ups and downs of having like hyphenated identity, um, growing up, how did you feel about embracing your identity as a South Asian Canadian? Um, what does it mean to be South Asian Canadian to you? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think we're always trying to find, you know, how we fit in and where we fit in, right? Is, is an identity such a complex uh, thing uh, to deal with? And being South Asian, um, you know, it's like, ah, like, am I Indian? Am I Canadian? Am I both? Am I Indian enough? Am I Canadian enough? So we're always trying to find, I guess, you know, how we fit in 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 that way um but what i can tell you is um i, I know that's not really an answer but I, you know what i can tell you is that i know uh and i feel that we're certainly 
uh, underrepresented in so many communities, right? So, you know, you've heard of David Blaine. Um, you probably heard of David Copperfield, maybe, right? Maybe you've heard of Penn and Teller, who are these two great magicians are on Netflix as well. Uh, but like, can you name any Indian magicians, right? Like we're so underrepresented. And, what, and why is that, right? Like India, well, I'm Indian, so I'm talking about India specifically. Uh, but, you know, this can be extrapolated to, you know, a lot of South Asia in general. Um, you know, there's so much magical history that comes out of India, right? Like in the olden days, there'd be magicians on the street. And I know I'm kind of taking it back to magic and you wanted to focus on identity, um, but I'm going to try to connect the two. You know, in the olden days, you know, it was normal and maybe it still is normal to walk around in certain parts of India and still see, you know, what's called a Madari, which is like a magician, these old school magicians. And they'd like sit on the street and they might have like little doves appear or snakes appear. Like that was a normal thing, right? So why don't we know any magicians uh, in South Asian magicians here right like that's what I mean by well, like we're so underrepresented uh, underrepresented in in like all art forms right and and I like to think that by me doing what I'm doing and what I love to do I'm kind of hopefully you know bringing that um, you know, just a tiny step forward. So people see, oh, wow, like there's a brown guy and he's a magician, right? It's just not common. So yeah, that's my thoughts around that. No, that's really great that like, um, you know, I think it's really good to have that sort of like image out there. Like you, like you said, like South Asians are very hard to find in that in, in entertain, entertainment industry in general, but also like specifically mag mag magic and magicians and um, performing and all that stuff. So I, I guess like kind of going back into your magic show and your how your shows are set up as well are, and stuff, we kind of mentioned how, you know, you have different types of shows. You have the live performances, you have street performances, and now the virtual. Do you have a preference over one or the other, like depending on, like, is there is there something, is there one of those that you like the most and would like to do again? You know, they've, they've all got their pros and cons. It's funny because, you know, when the pandemic started, I was like, I will never do a virtual show magic needs to be experienced in person like i need to be able to show you one-on-one -on -one how like you know uh, a coin turns into like a paper or i can read your mind while you're standing there and you're thinking of something and i just told you your grandmother's name or something right so yeah. i was always of the thought like it only needs to be done in person and it wasn't until about eight months into the pandemic after doing zero shows in person i was like you know what i'm gonna put together a like the best virtual show I can and I did and now I love performing virtual shows and so to go back to your question is there one I like more than the other you know it's hard to say there's pros and cons you know the truth is in person there's so you know for a 40 minute performance or a 20 minute performance there's so much work uh other like work that goes into it in in the sense of like you know i gotta get up i gotta get dressed and i gotta like pack my briefcase and i gotta go into my car and then i feel like oh no i'm out of gas so i gotta go to a gas station and i gotta get to your uh you know the banquet hall i'm performing at and then i gotta see is this the right spot and then i get there and they're like oh wait don't worry you still got 45 minutes to perform and then you know you and then you got your 20 minute set and you got a tear down and then you like there's so much that goes into an in-person performance that people don't realize for like a 10 minute bit or a 20 or a 40 minute bit you know um that it, it's a lot to do that and that's okay there's uh, you know I, i've been doing that for years and that's totally fine but you know the disadvantage is there like 
you know, what am I going to do? Maybe one show, maybe two shows max a night because I got to drive from my house and way out east to, you know, way out west for show one. And then I got to go way up north for show two. And then, you know, that was like 12 hours of my day. Um, you know, in December of just this last year, when we really started uh, doing virtual shows, we did like there on, on our maybe our busiest day, we did like five or six virtual shows in one day, which wouldn't have been possible in an in-person world, right? Because of all the logistics. So from that perspective, like I love being able to just like hop into my office, you know, um, get ready, do my show. And then immediately after go attend to my one-year-old because you know, he needs a diaper change. So that's nice. Um, and I love that part of virtual, but what I really love about in person is, you know, there's something to be said of, um, getting that, per, uh, you know, I call it like a performer's high. Like when I finish a show of on being staged for 40 minutes, you know, whether it's a show for 20 people or 200 people, once a show is done, especially when it goes well, like there's this high that you get and you just feel incredible. It's, it's the best thing in the world. And um, it doesn't translate uh, as well you know that feeling isn't quite there in my opinion when doing a virtual show because when the virtual show's over it's like okay good night everyone and i hit end and then like that's it like everyone's just in their house and stuff so long answer to your short question you know i like them both <laughs> and there's pros and cons to you know uh uh, to both of them. You brought up a good point of like feeding off of the audience's energy is such an important thing about being an entertainer. And yeah, it must be really hard to like go from like feeding off of some the energy of the audience to like just your computer screen, like you said. It's really cool how you were able to take the current like the situation, take like the pandemic and see like it not as like a constraint, but like a like a like a not like a box, but like figure out a way to like get creative with it. Um, so I'm sure like an inter interactive virtual magic show, I'm sure people don't really think about that when they think of like a zoom magic show. So like, it's messed, it's really cool how you were able to take like the situation you were given and, and like kind of grow it to a, what you want to do. Yeah. Well, you know, thank you. And you know, it was said, uh, you know, all industries when, when the pandemic hit had to pivot and I feel like magicians have pivoted so hard, like virtual magic shows wasn't even three words anybody had put together in that sequence in the history of the world until a year ago. Right. Like it just didn't even exist. Um, and now it's, it's like a, it's a pretty powerful thing. So yeah, I, I like to think like we were able to pivot pretty hard. Um, and you know, we're enjoying every moment of it while it lasts. I was going to say the production value of your show, we were talking earlier before we hit record, but the production value of your show is like incredible. Like really it is like, I don't know how you got the lag to not be there. Like, it's just so clear. And like, I, I don't know how you did it, but it's great. I, I loved it. So. Awesome. <laughs> That's so good to hear. You know, part of it was, you know, I mentioned that I hadn't done any um, in-person shows for like eight months, right? When the pandemic right. hit and we only started doing the virtual shows around November. But part of it was like mentally, you know, I told myself like the product, you know, the in-person show I do, in my opinion, is pretty decent quality. Like, you know, I, I really put a lot of effort into my in-person show so that when people leave, they feel like, like this wasn't a guy pulling like scars out of his sleeves, which is fine. If you're a magician, do that, no problem. But you know, that's not my type of show. And so when I wanted to put together a virtual show, what I told myself was 
the quality of the virtual show needs to be just as good uh, or, you know, it's sorry, let me rephrase. You can't really compare virtual to in person. They're two different things. But when you watch the virtual show, I wanted people to take away that there was a lot put into this show. Besides the magic, there was a lot put in. And part of the reason was also I knew that there would be people that had seen me perform in person. Now they'd be watching my virtual show. And what I didn't want to happen is they've watched something of high caliber in person and then they watch the, this thing on virtual and it's like this magician that's like opened up his webcam and like trying to do the same tricks he would do. You know what I mean? Like I didn't, I wanted the quality to be just, you know, um, I, I, I wanted people to see that we put in the same amount of effort in a virtual show that we have done for our in-person show. So thank you for the compliment. Um, but kind of going back to what you said about like South Asians being underrepresented in like, um, especially in like the in entertainment industry and in magic, it must be hard being one of the front, like quote unquote frontiers or like one of the first people um, kind of pursuing and trying to make that like representation for a lot of the, your audience members um, and kind of like the older sibling situation. Did you have like any difficult conversations with your loved ones about like you wanting to pursue a path in the creative industry and like if you had those difficult discussions how did you kind of navigate that yeah 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 it, of course right like every and that's maybe part of the problem right like um as a south asian kid right like uh, what was i supposed to say like yeah i'm gonna be a professional magician and you know if and when i did say, say that i was like no you're not like we've already planned your future you know you're gonna be like a lawyer you're gonna be a doctor and i was like oh you know um okay and you know and i joke about that in my show and i don't know if you remember uh but there's there's a line in my show where i say like you know i've got this 10 month old he's you know this new kid and um my wife she wants him to grow up and be a doctor because my wife's a doctor so she wants him to be like her and i say no way jose he's gonna have to get a real job like a magician of course so you know i kind of in a way it kind of um you know i'm not directly calling out the south asian community but in a way it is a little bit like that too right because every south asian person in the audience and every single one of my shows cracks up at that because they're like oh yeah i get that you know that would have been me if you know if i was in that family so there is you know, I definitely touch base on that in, in, in kind of a funny way. I was going to say, like, I don't I don't think I think the creative industry and like the performance industry is like also like I think regardless of just the South Asian community, there's such a stigma around like pursuing careers out of the norm of like, you know, a nine to five job. So it's really it's great to see that sort of representation within the community, but also even outside of the South Asian community, seeing a magician perform and like getting kind of the backstage like past to how that's like I think that's cool to like uh be able to talk to you about that so that's good yeah yeah well thank you and I as you know as I was kind of hinting at earlier I think it's terrible that you know South, South Asia like uh, you know South Asian countries have such a deep-rooted history in art in performance right like look at bollywood movies right like they're half musicals like there's so much of it there and there's clearly um a pa you know people have passion for it and clearly there's even demand for it right people love their bollywood movies so i think it's a shame that um it's you know there's a stigma of like trying to trying to do 
be creative. Like, why is that, right? Um, like, we are creative people. Why are we holding ourselves down in a way? And and I think I have somewhat of an answer, not an answer, but, uh, you know, a theory. And I think it just comes out of, like, survival, right? Like, especially when um, you don't have a lot, right? Which a lot of South Asia doesn't, unfortunately. And, you know, you're just trying to feed your family and, like, get out of the maybe crappy situation you're in. Like, oftentimes, you know you know it's been told to us like education is the answer so like the way we get out of a crappy situation is we've gonna just just get educated unfortunately you know that you know my theory is unfortunately that kind of pushes people into one direction and then we miss out on a lot of that creativity yeah no I agree um I guess kind of segueing into that you touched a little bit about it before but what are your thoughts on the South Asian representation within the entertainment industry? How do you think we can move forward and kind of create, not create, but like kind of uplift and like showcase more South Asian people in the entertainment industry in the next generation? You know, I think, I don't think anyone's going to hand it to us on a silver platter, right? Like no one's going to come out and be like, hey, you know, um, Sneha, do you want to be the next... I mean, I hope someone does. I hope someone comes on and says, I hope, you know, do you want to be the next Wonder Woman and be in our next Wonder Woman movie? Like, I hope I hope that happens. But, you know, I really think we're going to have to kind of make the way ourselves. We're going to have to pave our own road uh, until we can. And, you know, uh, sometimes it's going to be a little bit of luck and sometimes it's going to be hard work. You know, it's been said, uh, and I can't remember who said this, but the saying is, the harder I work, the luckier I get. You know, and what does that mean? Of, of course, it's, you know, sometimes people are like, ah, oh, that guy got lucky, he got that position or he got that role in this movie. But it's it's um, all about the work that was done behind the scenes. And, you know, going back to your question, I, th I think we're going to have to carve our way a little bit. Um, because even though we're starting to see more and more representation, like, you know, who who's the brown guy you think of, like when you see on TV, right? Like, you're probably going to think of, um, you know, Raj from Big Bang Theory or, you know, like another like nerdy character, like a guy sitting behind a computer with glasses going like, uh -huh, I'm a nerd. And, you know, like we get uh, stereotyped. Right. But th there's obviously more to to us. Um, and I make a joke of that even at the beginning of my show. Um, again, like it's not directly like uh, in your face, but the joke is and you might recall, you know, I have a stage manager on my show. Right. So before the show even starts, he comes, he says a few rules and what to do. And then he goes, oh, and by the way, our tech support guy couldn't make it. So I'm going to be tech support. And then I come on. And one of the first things I say is, ah, Joe, as the Indian guy between the two of us, I kind of feel like I had the tech support side covered. Right. And that's me poking fun at myself in a way because of of like how South Asians are portrayed. Right. Like we're supposed to we're not supposed to be magicians like Joe, the white Italian dude who's my uh, who's a stage manager. He should have been the magician. Right. If somebody cast this and I as the Indian guy would have been the tech guy. Right. Like if somebody cast my, my show, that's how it would have played out. Um, but but that's not how it is because it's my show. Um, and again, so there are like if you look for those little details in the show, you'll see them and you'll find them. Um, and whether it's me poking fun at myself or kind of calling out, you know, our community in general, um, you know, it's there and it's done in, you know, in a fun way. 
Yeah, you, you bring up a good point. Like, you have to do the work to get, like, reap the benefits from it. And it's like, that's super important. We can't just hope for representation. We have to like, kind of just go for it, which is very true. Um, so kind of looking back, I guess, on your career so far, like, have, what was, like, a memorable moment or, like, maybe even a couple of many moments like, that helped you kind of grow into the artist that you are now? I mean, I, I still, I do what I do because I love doing it, you know. Um, you know, maybe a few favorite moments, maybe one of my favorite mo- moments you know, about 10 years ago, I was still, you know, uh, youngish at the time. I was in my 20s. And, um, you know, I, I, somebody offered me uh, to fly me out to Qatar, to the Middle East. And I, here I am, like this mid-20s guy, like 25 or something at the time. I don't know. And, uh, like, you know, magic is like this pastime thing. And I do it here and there. And it's nothing major. And, um, you know, a company found out about me. And they're like, hey, we're going to fly you out to Qatar um, if you're down to do like magic at my uh, for a performance and I was like yeah like I was just so happy I, you know I was like you don't even I don't even know if I said this but I probably was like you don't even have to pay me just buy me a ticket I'll come there and I'll hang out for a week and I'll do a show and I did um, and six months later they called me back so I went a second time for a bigger uh, conference and I think that was you know one moment where I realized like you know, this magic thing I got going, like it can be more than me just kind of doing it with family and friends and like on the weekends, like I could really, you know, push this forward. So maybe that's one memorable moment um, in, in my magic career. Oh, that, that's really cool. And you were able to go back for a second time. Did, I guess, kind of going back, did you kind of think about like what you wanted to do differently or kind of like maybe explore something else when you went back to a second time? Yeah, so the first time it was uh, a bit of a smaller gig, you know, I was doing what's called walk around magic um, and, uh, you know, doing close up things, whereas uh, the second time I had more of a stage platform where I could perform for like a bigger audience on stage. Uh, So it was definitely different. But, you know, I was just excited to go back like someone was paying me money and buying me a plane a return plane ticket to go to this land that you know maybe i'll never go to otherwise um and you know go go hang out for a week and just have a good time so um you know as i said i think from it it maybe shifted my thinking a little bit of what what magic you know what i can do with magic and what magic can do with me and what it can do for me that's really cool. Um, I guess also wanting to talk about like the uh, other aspect of what you do is like being emceeing and hosting. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really cool uh, job. And like my I'm really just really curious, like, how do you keep an audience engaged, like especially at a wedding, like for a really long time? And like when you first started or even now, if you do, do you, do you have any struggles with with that? And like, how did you kind of overcome that? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, let me answer your question. Uh, come back to it in a moment, because. You bring up a good question, but it reminds me of, you know, 10 years ago, I was listening to this um, magician lecture. Uh, his, his name is Michael Dardan. He's from um, New Orleans, in, in, um, from New Orleans, um, and you're familiar with New Orleans, I'm sure. Um, Louisiana, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> just making sure I got that right in my head first. Um, and, you know, he said, and he's, by the way, he's a great magician and he's funny and like very like, uh, you know, he's charming and, uh, you know, just like pulls you into his performance, right? Like just great performer. And, you know, one of the lines he said was, you know, to be a good magician, you have to be a good juggler. And I was like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, I'm not going to juggle. And what he meant by that was, you know, when you get up on stage, like if you do magic, that's great. 
and you've already set yourself apart. But there's probably still, there, you know, the world still has thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of magicians. And to really stand out, you got to know how to, maybe you need to know how to juggle. Maybe you need to know how to sing. Maybe you need to know how to dance. Maybe you need to know how to, uh, you know, ride a unicycle. Maybe you need to know how to like, uh, you know, jump on, you know, do a handstand and like jump around on your hands. Maybe you need to know how to break dance. And his whole point was, you need, you can't just do one thing and expect, like you'll do okay, but you know, the more tools you have in your toolbox, the more ready you'll be when you get on stage. So like if you need to pull in different aspects of your, um, you know, of, of the skill set that you bring to the stage, you're able to do that as opposed to somebody who can only do one thing, right? And to answer your question of going back to like, you know, what does it take to, I think you said, uh, what are the challenges of being an MC? And, um, you know, is it hard to make, keep, keep, again, your question, keep an audience's attention? Um, you know, my answer to that is, of course it can be, It's but it's like anything. And I think to be good at it as an MC, again, I'm going to use Michael Dardan's line. I'm going to say, you have to be a good juggler. And I'm, again, I'm not saying like, you have to know how to juggle. But I think why I've accelerated, and I haven't been an MC, a wedding MC that long. It's been less than five years. I've been doing magic my whole life. As wedding MC, I've been doing it for you know a couple of years. Uh, but I'm one of the most booked in the city, in the city of Toronto, and I'm one of the most sought out MCs in the city. And uh, you know, not to like, you know, I'm not trying to say like, oh, uh, you know, tap myself on the back, pat myself on the back or anything. But I'm just saying, I think you know, people ask me to come out because. I feel like I've over the years I've filled my toolbox with some like different different skill sets, right? So you can find other wedding MCs in the city, yeah. You can find um, other magicians in the city, but there's only one professional wedding MC who happens to be a magician. There's only one, and that's me. And the great thing about carving a niche for yourself in whatever industry it is. If you are the only person that does what you do, then guess what? When somebody falls in love with what it is you do, they can only come to you. And that's that's a nice feeling. Because, you know, when you need a plumber and like you call someone and he's like, yeah, sure, I can come by on Tuesday. And you're like, no, well, you know, I, I got to get this fixed today, not in five days. Or you call a plumber and they say, um, yeah, that'll be $15,000. And you'll be like, no, thanks. I'll call the next plumber. Like that's a problem when there's a lot of plumbers, right? But when you need a plumber that can, and this will never, this isn't a real thing. I'm making this up. But when you need a plumber that can, um, you know, uh, ride a horse while, um, you know, drinking champagne, there might only be one. And so if he says I'm only available on Tuesdays and it's going to cost $15,000, then guess what? If that's what you want, if that is a thing you need, then, you know, he's going to have to come on Tuesday. It's going to cost you $15,000. Right. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, you know, part of, being anything, a wedding MC, being a magician is, I guess, two things. One, knowing how to juggle. <laughs> so learn to juggle and carve your niche, right? Like know um, where you should exist. And so going back to the what I know this wasn't directly related to your question, but when a, um, a couple getting married in the greater Toronto area wants an entertainer who's a wedding MC, 
they come to me because there's no one else doing the things I do in that same way, right? And as I said, that's nice because now, you know, I get to do what I love doing and I get to work with the people that really truly want me there. Um, and I know I, I went so far off your question, I'm sorry, uh, but I, I hope I covered it and some more. No, I think that's great advice to people who are like looking into trying to break into the entertainment industry, you know, like, you know, you said two things like juggle, like, you know, become a renaissance man in what you do and or woman, renaissance man or woman, um, and, and really understand a lot of different things within that career, but also kind of carve your own little corner in that kind of field and advertise that. I think that's like really good advice to anyone who's like trying to break into the entertainment industry or trying to do something in the creative industry in general. I guess like kind of moving on uh, to your careers because our career as a whole, what motivates you to continue to grow your career as a magician and MC? Yeah, you know, I think it's like any performance art. You know, I, I, I said this earlier, like, right? Like I do what I do because I love it. You know, I did it for a long time before anyone paid me a penny. And that was okay because I wasn't doing it for money, right? I just did it because I loved it so much. And the truth is, if something crazy happened tomorrow and I was never allowed to be paid to do magic again, guess what? I'd still do it. Um, so the motivation is just uh, finding, um, not finding, but the motivation is, I guess, just enjoying what I do and loving what I do and, you know, finding that performer high that I talked about earlier, right? There's nothing that beats it, um, in my opinion. So I guess the motivation is just, just uh, you know, is, is just the love, right? Um, why do people do anything, right? Like some people year after year, uh, you know, um, go boating, right? They spend three months on the sea. They do it because maybe they love it, right? So same idea. It's, it's about the love for me. So I guess kind of looking ahead and kind of your future for as like a magician and MC or host, what are some goals that you kind of have for yourself kind of going forward in the future? Yeah, I think I'd like to grow some more in the wedding industry in general. Um, you know, I think I've got a lot to give back uh, to the community and, and just to the industry. So right now, you know, I'm a magician, I'm an MC, but I, I think there's more to come. So uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. All right. Yeah. Like stay tuned. No, we're very excited to see what else you can come up with in the future. Um, and uh, yeah, it's very exciting. We're, uh, we'll definitely be watching closely to see where the, where your shows go and, um, from here. So I'm very excited. Um, just as a last sort of question to wrap up the segment, I know we, we touched base on it very recently, like in the last like couple of like 10 minutes, but I'll ask again, do you have any lasting words that you want to leave with our listeners um, just to wrap up the segment? Um, any sort of tips, advice, any last words that you have? Um, I guess whatever it is you're doing, right? I've already said this, but whatever it is you're doing, right? Be a juggler, right? <laughs> be a juggler. Take Michael Dardan's word, not mine. Be a juggler. And, um, you know, maybe number two is find your niche, carve your niche, and you'll be good. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dirty, for coming on to the show to talk about your career as a magician MC. Uh, very wonderful having you. My pleasure. Thank you both for having me, and we'll talk to you soon. 
We hope you guys enjoyed all the conversations we had today. Um, go check us out on Instagram at redefiningabcd, and feel free to let us know your thoughts on this episode. And as always, if you know anyone who'd be interested in being interviewed for a future Brown Art Network segment, either direct message us on Instagram or email us at redefiningabcd at gmail.com. And as always, stay safe and happy. We'll see you all in the next one.